0: What do church people say when a pastor says, hey there? They go, are we supposed to respond to that? (laughs) My name is Doug. And I'm one of the pastors here at Community Reformed Church. It is my joy to get to share with you today God's Word, we get to explore a little bit about what God is doing. And uh, believe it or not, uh, it wasn't supposed to be a sermon series, but surprise, uh, when Pastor Kurt preached uh, last week, um, he preached a wonderful message, a great foundational message that set us up for today today. Um, with, uh, what, just so you have a reminder, and I'm going to tell you what I heard, which drives my wife crazy. Because uh, when I was telling her what I was going to be talking about, she's like, but that's not what he said. <laughs> I say, yes, but that's what I heard. Which kind of sets up this wonderful dichotomy of what is what the preacher says and what the people hear. And he did say that... God's majesty is always on display and it is important for us to recognize it. Yes, he said that. But underlying that, what I heard was the absolute crucial importance of capturing and as a people being aware of and hanging on to with both hands what is true. That our God is awesome and that is true. That he is amazing and that is true. And if we let go of the truth, bad things happen. Like things get a little bit crazy and, and, uh, um, and, 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 and it costs us when we, when we let go of the truth. When we abandon what is true for what might seem right in our, in our own eyes, in our own thoughts, in our own feelings when we relinquish the truth because of other influences in life. And so today, I want to talk about one of those influences. I want to talk about how we can fight that influence so that we can continue and always hang on to the truth. Now, the scripture that we have for today is a story uh, from our Bibles that uh, helps us capture one of those influences in action, to name it, to label it, to see what it uh, can do, the impact that it has on God's people Um, And then we'll pull out some other scriptures that give us a sense of how we can fight it. Uh, Before I begin, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you some background before the story uh, begins. So if you pray with me, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for meeting us right here, right now. You've been waiting for us. Um, We don't come here and invite you. You have been here, and you invite us. And so Holy Spirit, we listen for your word, we listen for the beauty of Jesus Christ in all things that are happening here today, and we pray that you will illumine us to what is true. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story we're getting into today comes out of uh, the Old Testament, very early on in God's Word, uh, a book of numbers. What leads us to this moment is a a wonderful story, one that many of us are very familiar with. It's the story of the Exodus. So leading up to this moment uh, is God's people who have been in bondage for 400-ish years in Egypt, and they've been just yearning to be set free. God, will you please, will you please? So for a hundred years, they've been praying for this. And God says, finally, when the time is right, yes, I will set you free. And he sends his servant Moses to go and to deliver them. And he comes as an ambassador of truth and brings with him God's judgment, 10 plagues. And then the people are rise up and, and they are ushered out, uh, blessed to leave as, as the, the Egyptians are like, here, take some money, get out of here. You're dangerous. And so they go off and they flee out and they run into the Red Sea and things are looking pretty honky dory until uh, Pharaoh sends his army. He's like, nope, not that easy. And there they are trapped and then God opens the sea and out they go. And he closes the sea on the army and they are free and then into the wilderness where they wander and God leads them to Mount Sinai and he gives them his law. He says, this is who you are. This is who I am. This is how I will protect you in this world. And then he helps them understand how they can build a tabernacle, a place for God to be with them, to literally sit there with him on his judgment seat, to hang out with them day in and day out as they travel along. And they do travel along until the day comes that they find themselves at another river. And across the river is the promised land home finally a land called Canaan the land that God had promised the great journey come to fruition all that he had in mind for them a land flowing with milk and honey where abundance would be the measure of the day and as they're anticipating going into the promised land God says the people think it's a good idea Moses agrees we should go check this out there's obviously people living over there. We should go see who they are. We should kind of get a sense of what's going on. We should witness the fruit of the land and maybe bring some back. That would be a good idea. And so 12 trustworthy men are chosen and sent across the river to explore the land of Canaan. And they go and they explore it and they go check out all the different people and all the, the opposition potentially because you can't just take a land. People aren't like, oh, yeah, you want my land? Okay. <laughs> They're going to have to take it. So they go check it out. They bring back some fruit to prove that what God was saying was true. And now, our passage, Numbers chapter 13, we're going to start at verse 26. If you want to open your Bibles, that's where we're at. Otherwise, pay attention up there. And if you don't want to pay attention up there, close your eyes. Let God's word just wash over you. So they came back, the 12 spies. To Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community uh, at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land and they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. All right, pause. Who? Descendants of Anak. Um, Anak was a guy from long, long, long time ago before them who was a great, mighty, powerful, daunting warrior. And his people are, of course, daunting warriors. Anak had a, a reputation for being indomitable. Now, the reason that this means something to them is because of who Anak supposedly was in the lineage of. Why was Anak so huge and powerful, a warrior of old? Because he was descended, as the story goes, from the Nephilim. See, this is where we go, who? Yeah, are you gonna go there? Nephilim. We have no idea. <laughs> but The one time it's mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis at the time of the flood. When it's referenced, it is used to describe a people who were supposedly born as children of the sons of God and human women. These children are the Nephilim. What does that mean? Hmm. But it sounds scary. And Anak supposedly came from them. So now we know just how daunting this looks. Uh, Also, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Basically, what we're telling you is there's a whole bunch of warrior tribes and they occupy the whole land. There's nowhere for us to go. They're there. Now, please do not forget, as this is happening, why are they so afraid? The Israelites, remember where they came from. Where were they just? In Egypt. What were they doing there? being slaves. They knew how to swing hammers and shape rocks. They knew how to work mud and straw and make bricks. They were not entrusted with swords. Here they stand on the cusp of great battles. And what are they going to bring? Harsh words. Get out of my land. They're freaking out. Now, one of the twelve, Caleb, silenced the people before Moses and said to them, Wait, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I don't know why, but it just felt like I should say that kind of Bronxy like, <laughs> We can do that. <laughs> but the 10, ten of the men who had gone up with him, only Caleb and Joshua, uh, Joshua uh, agreed on that. The rest of the ten, said, no, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Notice the report they're telling all the rest of the tribe, uh, a whole rest of the group, is a different report than they had just told to Moses. They said, the land we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there uh, of great size. We didn't just see the descendants of Enoch there. We saw the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same. To them. So there is a an influence happening in the people at this point. There's a negative thing inside of them just eating them up. So what we're talking about today, this passage illustrates it perfectly. If you haven't guessed what it is, I'm gonna share some quotes with you. I don't know, you don't know this about me, I don't I don't get to share it very often, but I love poetry. I love words that create images, that create emotion, and there are some great sayings, quotes. There's this great little portion of a poem from Wordsworth. Uh, It's uh, a poem of his called Inscriptions that is like supposedly near a hermit's cell, and there's this little stanza in there that goes like this. It'll help you know what we're talking about today. What are fears but voices airy, whispering harm where harm is not? and deluding the unwary till the fatal bolt is shot. That's good. Or what about this uh, famous German proverb, fear makes the wolf bigger than he is. You know what we're talking about today? Fear. Fear, that thing that happens inside of people when something scary comes up and, and our emotions rise up and... And we start believing crazy stuff because we're afraid. Fear is uh, a bad thing. I'm talking about bad fear here, an emotion that's found in all humans that has this tendency to hide some of the best things we have to offer and draw out some of our worst. Now, before some of you, and rightfully so, begin to think, wait a minute, hold on. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about all fear. Not all fear is bad. Again, Not exactly what Kurt said, but building on what he said, there is a beautiful, perfect, reverential fear of God. Oh, that is beautiful. In fact, God's word, the Bible is clear that when we have awe in who he is and in his holiness, it is appropriate, it is healthy for us. I'm not talking about that today. And I'm not talking about that kind of healthy, instinctive alarm system fear. You know, like, oh, look, that snake is rattling. I shouldn't play with it. It's the common sense. Oh, yeah, okay. That pan, there's a heat coming from that pan. I should not touch it with my bare hands. Or or we all know that uh, jumped up pit of the stomach feeling when you're trying to stop on an early winter snowy road and you see the stop sign, it's coming up, and you wait like normal and you hit the brakes and you just go right through. And even though the, the analog brakes are like, you ain't stopping nothing. You waited too long. And you're like, Everything stops, your heart's like beating really hard and and you go right through the intersection and there's no big collision and you're like, oh, you're sweating. You're like, I won't do that again. And then for another winter, you drive smartly like a Michigander until the next November. (laughs) I'm not talking about those kind of fears. We're talking about the kind of fear that contradicts the truth when what God says takes a backseat to how we feel And there are things we feel that can be so loud that it's hard to remember what God says is true. When we're afraid, like Pastor Greg was talking about this morning, when we're afraid of dying, if we're afraid that we'll let somebody down, when we're we're afraid that we'll be all alone in this world, or that we might hurt somebody accidentally or someone might wanna hurt us. Fear, fear of of the unknown, fear of the things that, 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 that take away the stability of our life. And that's why this story from Numbers is so perfect because it illustrates the power of fear to fabricate reality. They were talking about knock at first, and that suddenly became, we saw the Nephilim there. Yeah, right, sure you did. Instead of the land flowing with milk and honey that would sustain the people, it became the land that will devour you. It's going to chew you up and spit you out. You don't want to go there. They said they felt like grasshoppers. They felt like that, and so that must be how the people in that land saw them. The way this story unfolds reveals just how corruptive fear can be as those fears spread through the community and create rebellion. So much so had this occupied them. So much so had this named, uh, claimed them and and, and won their hearts that they got to the point that even after all that God had led them through, I mean, 10 plagues, deliverance through the sea, all all sustenance and care that God did, the promise that he was with them after all of that, they decided that they were going to fire Moses over that. And when I say fire Moses, I mean stone him to death. I guess it's, it's a one way to fire somebody. I do not advocate that to the business people in the room. That's what fear can do. They were ready to make very significant decisions for their future based on false information. They had been lied to by their own hearts. That's the power of fear. Unfortunately, and this is one of those crazy things about fear, when we do allow it to become an influencer in our decision making, what we fear almost always comes to pass because fear is a self-fulfilling prophecy. The Israelites, because of their fear, they decided that they wouldn't believe God and the land that they were afraid they couldn't possess was removed from their possession. For 40 years, for this rebellion, they were cast out into the wilderness so that every one of them from that generation died except for Caleb and Joshua, the two spies who believed. Only they were allowed eventually to go into promised land. Their fear of not being able to have what they thought they could have, they should have, what God was saying they could have. But we're so afraid their fear led to that being gone. When I was a young man, one of my deepest fears was being alone in this world. Having no one to care for me, no one to care for and the way I handled that fear was to be very manipulative and controlling in my relationships. I had to make sure that the people I was in a relationship with would not leave. What happens when you're in a room and you're in a relationship with somebody who's manipulative and controlling? You leave. <laughs> what we do when our emotions rise up... <sighs> it gets insane. So how do we handle this? What, what can we do? What's our answer? Just don't be afraid. (laughs) Okay. We need somewhere to hang our hat. So this is where we come back to the truth. The truth helps us deal with this. The truth gives us a place where we can stand. What do you think would have happened if the Israelites would have remembered the truth in that moment? Would have hung on desperately to the truth that God is with them. That God would give them his promise. If, if in the face of what those 10 uh, spies had said, they would have said, you know what? Uh, I'm with Caleb and Joshua on this. Uh, do, do you remember what, how, what, what God did at the Red Sea? Do you remember that thing just going, we walked through and then crashing down on everybody? Do you remember that? I think the person we're traveling with is bigger. Than their armies. Truth has this way of clearing the way. It has a way of opening paths we never imagined. Uh, Peter could walk on water because he kept his eyes on the way and the truth and the life. Jesus. It It wasn't until... It wasn't until he was distracted by the storm and his eyes left Jesus that walking on water stopped. I love what it says in Psalm 27, um, right at the beginning of Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Truth in the face of our fears Is our strength. No matter what that fear is, no matter how big it might seem, when they try and intrude into our lives and they try and tempt us to make unhealthy decisions, hanging on to the truth sets us free. When God helps us in His Word to address our fears, there is one truth that He shares. Almost every time, he says not to fear. His number one answer in the face of fear is very simply this. Remember who I am and how I take care of things and that I am with you. Isaiah 41, don't fear, I'm with you. Do not be dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Bible says it over and over and over again when God says, fear not. The reason that we can reject fear is that we're not alone. That's our strength. That's the truth. He is with us. And folks, if that's his answer, it's probably enough. I mean, I encourage you to look it up. Go look it up. Do a Google search. Fear not. Do not fear. God says it over and over again. uh, He says not to fear. Fear not. We shouldn't fear, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for you are with me. Isaiah 43. Now, this is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. We don't need, in the face of our fears, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and to prove that we can handle life on our own. God wants us to depend on him. He wants us to trust him. And inherent in trust, the only way trust is created is if we have a relationship, if we have intimacy, if with our God, we receive his love. Love. It's like the biggest four-letter word that ever existed. It's the one that offends more people than anybody, anything else. And it's actually the only way to defeat fear. The only way. First John 4 says it clearly. There's no fear in love, but... Perfect love drives out fear. And you know why I think that is? Not just because the Bible says so, but because love is generous and charitable. It's about someone other than ourselves. It's the antithesis. It's the direct opposite of fear. Because fear is selfish. Fear is all about ourselves. Think about it. Fear is an emotion that reveals the sin of pride. Fear is pride through and through. Think about it. It's all about me. What am I afraid of? What will it cost me? What will I lose? Who will I let down? I don't want to be alone. I don't want to lose control of this aspect of my life. I, 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 me, me, me. The whole world in fear revolves right here. But love, you can't love without someone else. Love is all about someone else. That's what makes it so powerful. That's what what Jesus did was so amazing. It's why he changed the world. Even though he was around for such a short time, his whole life was marked by love. He gave up his life for his enemies, us, so that we could live with him in his resurrection. 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, the famous love chapter in the Bible, describes the power of this everlasting gift from God and everything that love is and can do that directly contradicts the influences of fear. Fear weakens, lies, misunderstands. It's impatient, rude, and selfish. It's always telling you how right it is and it puts other people down. Fear never tries to understand. It only wants its opinion listened to. It remembers every issue, has no interest in the truth. It makes us weak and lonely and desperate and short-sighted. But love is exactly the opposite. Love is what God pours out all over us through grace when Jesus came to pluck us from the power of death and fear and hell. He showed us what it means to love by first loving us. And That promise was true even long before Jesus came. God's intent that this would happen is something that he was building all through his word leading up to that moment. You know what it says in uh, Psalm 147? It says that his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing, can you guess it? Love. It's only in God's love, his perfect love, which never fails, which is patient and kind, which seems to forget as well as forgive. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You ever get that weird feeling that God hopes in you more than you do yourself? Love rejoices in the truth. And it's only in God's love that we have what we need to fearlessly share love with someone else. I guess, ultimately, the the main thing that that I'm challenging with and I want to challenge all of us with, challenge myself with every single day, is whether or not knowing that, whether or not receiving that, whether or not I will let that be enough. The Israelites didn't. How many times did God say to them in all that he did for them, leading them out of bondage, I love you. And then when they stood on the cusp of the great promise fulfilled, they just didn't believe it. You can have that land. It's okay. I'll give it to you. I don't think we can do that. I didn't say you had to do it. I'll give you the land. I don't think we can do that. I don't think you're listening to me. Whew. Will I listen to the truth that God loves me and that is enough. More than I need to know that things will go the way I want them to go. More than I need to know that I can keep my world from falling apart. More more than I need to know that I will get those things in this world that I think I need, that I'm really sure that I need. Because that's, that's fear. It's fear that percolates and wants to tell me that if I'm gonna make sure I get what I need, I better do something about it. Can I brush that aside and just hang on to the truth that God loves me, that God loves you. And that's enough. If we can get our hearts around that, then his perfect love infused into us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit will give us the gift of courage. And every fear can fall away. Let me let me just end this time with a passage from 2nd Timothy. And it's a beautiful one. It's a promise for you. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's his gift to you. Let it be enough. Let's pray. Father God, you are (laughs) you're amazing and overwhelming and a little bit scary and you you love us and that means more than anything else that it just wipes everything else off the table this is the truth that we want to remember, this is This is the truth that we cling to. When the things of this world and the things in life rise up and really try and scream loud so we'll pay attention to them, help us to find your light, your way, your truth. Help us to find our Lord Jesus, the manifestation of love itself, and hang on tight to that alone. So we can trust you, so we can be yours, so that fear doesn't convince us to do dumb things. Also, you would be glorified. Also, that others would know who you are and get to experience that love too. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know that God loves you? And I don't mean like, oh yeah, yeah, God loves you. No. Do you know that God, your Father, Loves you. Hang on to that. Let that be your strength. Let Him be your strength. And then no matter what comes, He's got it. May the love of God the Father. May the fellowship, the intimacy with God the Son, may the power of God the Spirit dwell within you richly. And all of God's people said, amen. Go in peace.